Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to gather today and to glorify your name in this place. Yes, there are fewer in number, Lord, but no less important, God. We're here to honor and to glorify you. We thank you that we're here in your, in, and gathered in your name, so you are here in our midst. We pray that you would impress upon our hearts your word now as we hold it in our laps, that you would guide and direct this time. I ask, Father, that you would help me to rightly divide your word. Be with all those in the Sunday school classes. Guide and direct us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we did start chapter 8 last year. Jesus, uh, last week rather, Jesus um, standing there on the Temple Mount after the Feast of Tabernacles decided that he still wanted to minister to these disciples and minister to those that were still in the area. And while he was teaching, in the middle of his teaching, these, these leaders of the day dragged this woman in who was, quote, caught in adultery. And we talked about that last week to say, you generally don't catch somebody in the act of adultery. Those committing adultery are very quick, or are very good at hiding it. And so, I believe it to be a setup the whole time. And, and, and so, they, they try to pin Jesus into this situation. And in, in his infinite wisdom, as he sits there, um, working with these these men, he he begins to write in the sand. And at last, as they press him, he rises up and he says, "Hey, he who is without sin can f- cast the first stone. Whoever here in this group is sinless, go ahead and stone this woman according to the Mosaic law." And then he began to write in the sand again, and he opted uh, as or as he did that. To a, to a man, they all left, recognizing that they have all, as we do, fallen short of the glory of God. They were all with sin. None were without sin. And so <clears throat> Jesus rises up at the last, he and the woman there, and says, where are your accusers? And, and he, she says they have left. And what he says is truly beautiful. Then I don't condemn you either. Jesus was the sinless one and is the sinless one. He is the one who could have cast the stone according to the rule that he had made. He who is without sin, Jesus could have cast the stone, but he did not, for there is no condemnation for those in Christ. But what I like about Jesus, he says you're not condemned, but he doesn't just leave it at that. He also calls her and us to a life of holiness. He tells her, go, Stop living the habitual life of sin. Go and sin no more is what he says. Walk away from that life. And then he makes a bold statement. One of the ego ami statements. The I am statements. I am the light of the world, he says. Proclaiming his, his deity. And we said light exposes darkness. You shed a light in a dark room and you, uh, the, the darkness flees. Light exposes darkness. Light also reveals blindness. For the blind cannot see the light. 
And where we left off, right there in the middle of the chapter, we saw that many believed. And so we're going to pick it up now in 31 of chapter 8 and continue on. We read 31 and 32 last week, but that's where I want to start today as well. John 8.31 says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus, speaking to those that proclaimed that they believed in Jesus, said, fine, if that's what you say, then this is how you will demonstrate that you believe. You will abide in My Word. What does it mean to abide? It literally means to, to live in, to, to soak it in, be, be like a sponge and allow it to soak in. They often say kids are sponges, you know, they, they kind of absorb whatever is around them. We certainly see that as we brought Kindu home. He's been home a little bit over a month now, just immersing him in English. He's, he's a sponge. He's soaking it up, you know. We, we watch Despicable Me and he starts acting like a minion. And that's, that's the way it goes. And so he, he just soaks up and, and, and he's speaking more and more English every week. And, and he's just, that's how we are to be in Christ, living in his word, abiding in it, soaking it up. How about breathing it in? Um, in Timothy, 2 Timothy, it says, all scripture is God breathed. Beth Moore likens that to the, the exhale of God. The, the Word of God is the exhale of God. And we are to breathe that in. Those that abide in His Word are His disciples. What's that mean? What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? Well, a disciple is one who follows the teaching of. It's, it's, I've listened to the teaching. I agree with that teaching. And so I'm going to follow that teaching. That's what it means to be a disciple. You guys remember going on field trips back in elementary school? You get the the paper signed by your parents and you got to go to the zoo or to the paper factory or something. I don't know. You know just weird, weird trips. But about third grade or so, you know, Mrs. Peters was my third grade teacher and I remember going somewhere with her as a class and she's got 20, 25 kids, 30 kids following her along. And there's always one, Johnny. Right? There's always one, one boy. It's always a boy. There's always one boy that Mrs. Peters is, is constantly having to keep after. Johnny, stay with the group. Johnny, and Johnny said, Oh, look, I found a ladybug and I'm attracted, you know, and, and he's wandering off in a different direction. And it's a lot of work for Mrs. Peters to keep Johnny in line. The question is, is that what kind of disciple we are? Are we the, the, the third grade boy that's wandering all over the place when, when our leader is saying, let's go in this direction? That's not the type of disciple we want to be. We want to be following his ways. The way that we do that is we abide in his word. The byproduct of abiding in his word, it tells us, is knowing the truth. It says, verse 32, you shall know the truth when... Uh, when you want to be part of the DEA or FBI or CIA or you want counterintelligence or what have you, one of the things they have you study is, is so that you would recognize counterfeit money and uh, uh, cu- uh, currency. And the way that you study for counterfeit currency is you don't study the counterfeits, you study the genuine. And so they give you a stack of bills, ones, fives, tens, twenties, fifties, hundreds, thousands, and, and, and so that you can look at them 
and you learn them inside out and backwards. You know exactly what a $1 bill looks like. You know exactly what the words are, how they're placed, the, the fonts, the, the, the design, the front and the back. You learn it inside out and backwards. And that way, when you know it very, very well, when a counterfeit comes across your way, it's easy to spot. Why? Because it's not the genuine. The same is true with God. As we abide in His Word, then we know the truth and we can spot the counterfeit. We study the genuine so the counterfeit can be spotted. And what that knowing of the truth does is it makes us free. I hope as Christ followers we live that way. That we live as free people. And what I think it means, it certainly means both of these things, but more to the extreme, it means it's a freedom from things. Not a freedom to things. Yes, we have freedom to things in Christ. Paul would say, I can do all things. I, I, I have the liberty to do all things, but not all things are profitable. And what, so the freedom that God gives us is a freedom from things. I don't have to drink anymore. I don't have to find pleasure in drugs anymore or illicit sex or I don't have to find my satisfaction in those things. I don't have to do that. I'm freed from that culture. Free to follow Christ. And we are free in Him. Alright, so we're going to pick up now a new text at 33. They answered Him, saying that we would be free. They answered Him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now, I don't know how long you've been reading the Bible or how long you're following along or or where you are, but that is a mind-blowing statement that these leaders of the religious religious leaders of the day would come back with, "We're, we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been in bondage to anyone. Really? Um, what, let's look at Egypt. Um, Moses set the captives free. He, the, the Red Sea was divided. The death angel passed over. God liberated them from Egypt. How about Babylon? How about Syria? How about at that moment they were under the rule of Rome? And yet they say, we've never been in bondage to anyone. That's how blind they are. They can't even see the simple truth that's in front of them. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And so while the obvious answer would say, well, what about the Roman guard that's walking by you right now? You are enslaved to him. But that's not where Jesus goes. He goes to the matter of the heart. And he says, Yes, he doesn't even mention that they've been ruled over physically. He speaks of the ruling over their hearts that sin has, that how that habit of sinning is enslaving. I don't know if you have a habitual sin, a sin that you have struggled with for your whole life. I do. I, and I know how enslaving it is. It's, it's unable to be controlled other than by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whoever commits sin, that idea of committing sin is in verse 34 is a, a verb stating it's not just that you've fallen once or twice. It's not just that you've tripped up here. It's, it's the idea that you are habitual in your sin. And it certainly is enslaving. And for 35 says, And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. 
A slave of a house, those that worked in the house had no rights of the house, had no privileges of the house, but a son does. And he says in 36, Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. As you look at the life of a slave, the way that a slave is liberated in an honest way is he, he doesn't liberate himself. A slave cannot free himself, but a son can free him. A son can set him free. And that's what God does. That's what Jesus does on our behalf. He makes us free. And not only that, not only does He make us a, 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 an ex-slave to sin, He also adopts us into His family and makes us a son. We get to abide in the house. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. I love this. Jesus has a boldness that I envy. He's willing to say what needs to be said, even if it there's confrontation involved. He's willing to go toe-to-toe. Jesus speaks the truth at all times. He never lies, right? He is Jesus. He is sinless. He has never lied. He will never lie. He speaks the truth at all times. And what does He say here? He says, you do what you have seen with your father. These men truly are children of the enemy. And He's willing to call it that. He's willing to go toe-to-toe with them in this conversation. And as we finish the chapter, you're going to see like an escalation. Although I don't think ever Jesus ever loses his cool. I don't think he like blows up or gets angry even. I think he maintains probably a, a normal speaking voice. I, I don't know that for sure, but, but there's a, an elevation of intensity as the chapter goes on. They answered in him, or they, verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. I like this. I don't know if you caught it or not. I didn't catch it the first few times I read this. But Jesus distinguishes between being Abraham's descendant and being Abraham's children. They were Abraham's descendants. I don't know if you've been in church your whole life, but they have the children's song. You remember it? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had father. Right? And you do your right arm, and then you do your left arm, and you end up looking like a fool, and you fall down. It's a lot of fun. But the song would say, I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Father Abraham did have many sons. He had many descendants. Jesus distinguishes here between being a descendant, which they were, and being a child of Abraham. And he defines that as those who did the work of Abraham. What's that? What is the work of Abraham? Well, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 would say, speaking of Abraham, and he believed in the Lord. And he, he being God, accounted it to him for righteousness. The work that Abraham did was believing in what God had said. That was what the work that Abraham, that Abraham accomplished. It was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed. 
Well, look at the message of Jesus as we've been studying the book of John. That's what Jesus is entreating everybody to do. We started it with John 3.16. God so loved the world that whoever so, uh, that He gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him should not ha- perish but have everlasting life. It's those the, the work of Abraham to become a child of Abraham in this case would be to believe the Word of God, which is, of course, Jesus. Verse 40, But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Abraham didn't reject the Word of God. He believed the Word of God. It was counted to him as righteousness. These men are rejecting the Word of God. And if you go back to John chapter 1, we read in verse 14, the Word of God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Word is Jesus. They are rejecting Him. Abraham did not do this. So they, he is saying they are not Abraham's children. He says in 41, you do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. See, there's a step up a little bit. He's, he's, they're intensifying the conversation now. They say to him, hey, 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 it's not us who were born of fornication. You, Jesus. Wondering his background, they didn't believe in the story of the virgin birth. They thought he was born illegitimately. And so they, they, they're reminding Jesus of his past or what they, they thought was his past. Certainly it was not. We're not illegitimate. We are, uh, we have one father, God. Jesus said to them in 42, if God were your father, you would love me for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but He sent me. There it is again. Those of you who have been with us for the past month or so, we have seen that statement half a dozen, if not more times. He sent me. Jesus says over and over again. I think we as a church need to hear that. He has been sent as followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ. We have been sent. Are we going? Are we following Him in the way that He is leading? And then He asks the question Jesus does in 43. Why do you not understand My speech? And He answers it. Because you are not able to listen to my word. Jesus asks the question, how, why do you not hear me? Why, hello is what he's saying. But as he proclaimed to be the light of the world, we realize that the blind cannot see the light and the deaf cannot hear the word. As we prayed this morning, we, we gather at 7.30 to pray, and as we prayed this morning, my prayer was that we as a church, that all who came today would have unstopped ears, that we would hear. These men did not. Verse 44, Jesus now meets them toe-to-toe. You are of your father the devil. And the desires your father, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus doesn't pull any punches, does he? He speaks the truth. He goes, Jesus doesn't lie. What he says here is true. You are of your father, the devil. Satan wants to see Jesus killed. And these men are going to accomplish that. He, he, the, he is, they are going to do what the, he, what the, their father wants them to do. You know what? Let's just talk about the enemy for a minute. That's, that's not cool in church anymore. There aren't many churches that, that spend a moment or any kind of time speaking of our adversary, our foe, the accuser, Satan. What does Jesus say here? He is a murderer. And you know what? He wants you dead too. His goal is that you would die. A physical death? Sure. But more importantly, a spiritual death. He would do all that he could to render those that follow Christ ineffective. That's that's great for him. If I can just render these Christians ineffective, get them so swallowed up in in the day-to-day life or in the work or in whatever they're doing that they are no longer seeking to glorify the Father, then he has won, essentially killing us, our ministry. Now we can bounce back from that, but he is a murderer. He desires the death of us. He is also a liar. It says he speaks his native tongue when he speaks a lie. I I was a habitual liar as a teenager. I I don't know why I felt like I had to build up my own ego or I had to make a story bigger than I was. But what I found about being a habitual liar is it's exhausting to try to remember what I told this person. And so I tell this person the same thing. Or if I tell conflicting stories and they end up talking how I can spin my way out of that and it ends up being exhausting creating this life that you want people to see. Just tell the truth. It's far easier. You don't have to remember. You just simply tell the truth. Jesus, of course, being our example in that. The enemy being a liar. His promises, the the enemy's promises never come to fruition. He'll promise you the world. It will always fall short. Jesus making the claim that these men are from their father, the devil, wanting to accomplish the will of the devil. He says in 45, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? None could convict him of sin. He was without sin. Jesus is sinless. He spoke the truth. Yet they'll find a way to crucify him. He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. We've said it already. I'll say it again. The blind don't see the light. The deaf don't hear the Word of God. And the question is, are we hearing? Are you hearing this Word today? Or is it just mumbling? For years, I went to church and sat 
faithfully, Sunday after Sunday in church, never hearing the Word of God. It was going forth from the pulpit. The, the pastor was faithful, but my ears were stopped. I was deaf. Do you hear the Word of God? We Week after week, that's what we do here at Calvary Chapel. We teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the entire Word of God so that those who come may hear. Are you hearing? Verse 48. Then the Jews answered and said to Him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? That's amazing. These guys are so blind. They're calling the Son of God. They're saying the Son of God has a demon. They are accusing Jesus of blasphemy while committing blasphemy. It's, it's mind-boggling how blind they are. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. No exclamation point there. Just speaking the truth. I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. I love that about Jesus, and as He is our example, we need to have this in our life as well. Jesus does not honor Himself. And to me, that's a good indication that he was about the Father's business. He sought no glory for himself. Those that are on a mission from somebody else have no desire to seek their own. Jesus does not. He does not honor himself. But the Father does honor Jesus. The Father does honor Jesus. After Jesus is completely humbled, humbled to death, Jesus resurrects to life, and the Father elevates Him and seats Him at the right hand, the place of honor that that every knee should bow, that every tongue would confess. The Father does honor Jesus, but Jesus does not seek that honor Himself. James would tell us, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. We are to live humble lives, not seeking our own glory. Jesus said, when you go to a banquet, remember this? When you go to a banquet, sit at one of the lesser seats. That way, when the master of the ceremonies would come in and sees you sitting at a lesser seat, He invites you to move up the table, move to a greater seat of honor. That's the way we are to live our lives. To to assume the humble position as Jesus did. And He will lift us up as James tells us. It's, It's better that than the other. That you assume that this seat is for me. It's the seat of honor. And the master of the ceremonies comes in and goes, um, no, that's not for you. Um, your, your seat's down there. And you have to get up and, oh, sorry. Sorry. And you go sit at the kids table. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. As Jesus did not seek His own honor, we should not seek our own honor. 51 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps My word, he shall never see death. Sounds good. Then the Jews said to Him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps My word, he shall never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? 
So at this point, those he's communicating with, they do flip their lids. <laughs> I, I envision this is where the rage starts. And, and they're seeking to kill him. What are you talking about, Jesus? Those that obey your word, those that abide in your word will never see death. What are you saying? Are you better than Abraham? What's the answer to that question? Yeah. Yeah, I am. You know, he doesn't necessarily say that. He doesn't seek to honor himself. But he is better than Abraham. The answer is yes. Yes, I am better. And then they say, Abraham is dead. The prophets are dead. Are they? Are they dead? Mark would say of them, or the, the book of Mark, Jesus would say of them in Mark chapter 12, verse 26, but concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage, which is the ego ami, that's where we get this idea of the I am, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You therefore are greatly mistaken. That's what Jesus says of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham and the prophets, if you would. They are the, he is the God of the living. Yes, they had suffered physical death, but that's not the death that Jesus is speaking of here. We will all pass from this life, the physical life, into the next, into the spiritual, into the eternal at one point. All of our days are numbered. We have, each of us have a set number of days. And on that day, we will take that bend in the road and pass from this life to the next, should the Lord tarry. But that's not the death that Jesus is speaking of. He's speaking of a, a, a far worse death, a spiritual death. Death And that death occurs when the Word of God is rejected. That death is far greater a, a, a tragedy than the physical death, for it leads to eternal separation from the living, loving God. If you abide in His Word, you will not taste that death. You will always be with the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the, the, uh, the, the verse that um, Chuck Smith talked about. I love it. And he would say, and we don't, as a, as a church, one of our, part of our distinctives, we don't believe in necessarily a soul sleep where we would die and then we just remain in that state until the Lord returns. We believe to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord, in the Lord is, is what the scriptures would tell us. And so I believe it that when you exhale your last breath here, you take your first breath in his presence. And it'll just be that quick and similar to the rapture in the twinkling of an eye. That's the way we pass from death to life. But Chuck would say, you know, of this passage, he would say, you know, one day you'll read that Chuck Smith has died. And we actually read that this year as he passed away just recently. And he said, that's a lie. <laughs> that's not true at all. I just got, I moved. <laughs> I got rid of the old tent and I've moved into the mansion. And, and, and that's a great way to look at it. Jesus says, you will not taste death. Finishing up the thought in 54. Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that He is your God. Yet, you have not known Him, but I know Him. And if I say, 
I do not know him. I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You're not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And there it is. I don't know if you have it in capitals. That's the way it is in the New King James. The I am is the that ego ami statement. It's the statement that God made in the burning bush. In the last verse, then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. He closes the thought with this idea that Abraham looked forward to the day of redemption that was coming in the death of Jesus. He looked forward to these days. These men proved themselves not to be children of Abraham by not rejoicing in the same thing, that the Messiah had come. Jesus says clearly in verse 58, before Abraham was, I am, claiming his rightful position as deity. He is God. He takes the name of God upon himself. And as he said, if he didn't say that, he'd be lying. And so it says, they ask him, you're not yet 50. How is it that you could have seen Abraham? Did Jesus see Abraham? There's a possibility. As I studied, few commentators would offer this. And you can take this or leave this entirely up to you, but it is an interesting encounter that Abraham had as he came back from battle. He meets a man who is a priest and a king. His name is Melchizedek. And in that time when Abraham, the father of all these nations, meets this man Melchizedek, it's interesting to see the interaction because what Abraham does, the really the king of, of, the, of the world at this time, bows his life before this man, this, prophet, this priest and king, Melchizedek. He offers him bread and wine, and he gives him a tenth of the spoils that uh, that he has um, won in the battle. He, he submits his life to this priest and king, Melchizedek. Some would say that was a, a, a pre-incarnate Jesus, that, that Abraham did meet Jesus in that moment. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. That's, uh, we don't know. We won't know until we can ask him face to face. But what's interesting, as you read the book of Hebrews, as it speaks of Jesus... The book of Hebrews would say that he is of the line of Melchizedek. Why? Because he couldn't, or in the, in the, in the, in the time of Israel, all the kings came from one line and all the priests came from another line. The kings from Judah, the priests from Levi. And so you wouldn't have the two in one person. But Melchizedek was that. He was priest and king. And so according to the book of Hebrews, so is Jesus, priest and king, in accordance with the line of Melchizedek. So, up to you. Take it or leave it. Jesus certainly was around when Abraham was there. Jesus is eternal. We can trust in that. And so as he says, I am, they want to pick up stones. They want to do what, what was right by the law to those that had committed the sin of blasphemy. They wanted to stone him. 
I, I find that fascinating. Again, they're the ones calling him a demon. They're the ones committing the sin of blasphemy, yet they want to stone him for it. But as we see and we have seen before, not yet. The time is not yet. We're still about six months out from the crucifixion. The time is not yet. Jesus is untouchable until the Father allows him to be taken. I love this chapter. He came to set the captive free. We no longer have to be enslaved to sin. Do you see that? Do you see the light? Do you hear that word? Are you seeing? Are you hearing? If so, believe in Him and abide in His Word. That's what we're called to do as Christ followers. Humble ourselves, believe in Him, abide in His Word. May we live that out this week as we go forth. Let's stand, let's close in prayer. By Your grace, O God, we have been saved. Our, the veil of our heart has been lifted that we can see the light of the world. Our ears have been unstopped that Your Word uh, would go forth and we would hear, O God, and believe. Father, I pray as disciples of Christ, as followers of You, Jesus, that we would abide in Your Word. I pray that we would have a great hunger for Your Word in this church, Lord. That it would be unsatiable. That every day we would desire to abide in Your Word, O God. Fill us up, Lord. Give us that hunger. God, as we go forth from this place, I do pray that You would keep us safe on the roads. I pray that You would go with us into our work week, that we would humble ourselves before You, God, but at the same time, we would have a boldness like Jesus had, always speaking the truth. We love You, Lord. We want our lives to show it. We give You praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.